Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thanks, Andrew. Give Andrew a hand. Leading worship and reading the text for us. We thank you, Andrew. Uh, Unfortunately for you, I'm back. This is now my third time. Normally, if a, a guest preacher is here for the third time, it's your fault because you haven't told the pastor, hey, you've got to cut this guy off. <laughs> uh, but it, in fact, it's actually Jesse's fault because I'm pretty sure he's been here every time that I've preached. So you can blame him for the fact that I'm back for the third time. But uh, you can guess that we're going to talk a little bit about worry and anxiety today. Uh, if you were here last week, Jesse did kind of a fun thing in the beginning where he, um, he sort of had like a call and response movie quote sort of thing based on the topic. Well, we're going to change it up a little bit. What I'm going to have us do is um, think of a song that has to do with worry or anxiety, and then we'll kind of go around and we'll each sing a song that has to do with worry and anxiety. So we'll start with Kenny, since he didn't get to to sing today. Kenny, just stand up, belt it out, uh, just a song about worry or anxiety. Nothing? Nothing, you got nothing. I could really only think of three. There's like a Stevie Wonder song, Don't You Worry About a Thing. Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy, and like the Beach Boys, Don't Worry, Baby. So there's too many people to do that. I was hoping to induce some panic in people, you know. Uh, how many people had a mini panic attack as you sat there? Although you probably didn't think I was very serious. But um, we're going to talk about anxiety, and, and one of the reasons was that um, recently I was uh, in one of the emergency rooms here, not personally uh, for a problem, but I'm actually in medical school. This is my third year of medical school where I sort of rotate between Uh, different places. And so I was in the emergency room trying to learn as much as I could. And there happens to be a lot of downtime for students uh, in that setting. So I was just kind of sitting there trying to pay attention to whatever the doctor was doing on the computer. But I was sort of drawn away by this group of nurses who was sitting there chatting. And and one of them, who's normally very chill, was like really worked up. And so now I'm curious, like, what's going on? And so I'm trying to like not be nosy, but I'm also curious. So um, it's a pretty small place, so, you know, I could hear kind of what's going on. So here's what had happened. Her husband and she have developed this sort of habit where whenever they go somewhere, they text each other, hey, I got here, you know, no problem. And so that had sort of become their routine. You know, many of us sort of do the same thing with people we care about. So he was planning, had planned for months to go hang out with a bunch of friends on a Saturday afternoon. This was a Saturday afternoon. And he had forgotten to text her to say, hey, I got here, I'm okay. So she, she was like, oh, that's weird. So she texted him. Hey, did you get there? Everything okay? No response. No big deal. A few hours later, hey, are you there? Hope everything's okay. No response. Four hours later, she is visibly concerned, like really, really concerned and anxious. 
And I think, you know, I was telling this story to my wife, Keely, and she was like, I mean, I'd be concerned, right, if this is our normal habit. Um, it, just imagine this is any time before, like, 2005. <laughs> this is the non-event, right? I mean, this doesn't, like, this doesn't cause any anxiety. Hey, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. All right, see you later. See you in six hours. Not a problem. Like, does not cause any concern. But now, we're in this state of, like, I have to know everything that's going on all the time. So she gets on Facebook. She, she's messaging all of the wives of the people who are there <laughs> saying, can you text your husbands to see if my husband's okay? She, um, this is the part that got me. She, she asked the nurses, which police department do I need to call to have them go check on him to see if, she, if he's okay? I mean, she's like really, really worked up. And it, I mean, I'm sort of like, I mean, I'm off to the side and I'm sort of chuckling to myself, like, how freaked out is this lady? You know, and I'm not trying to like disdain that sense of anxiety, but we, this is like, we tolerate this. The other nurses were like, oh, I think it's probably got to be Wayne County, or maybe you should call this police department. Like, they were sort of like feeding into the whole thing, and it sort of got me thinking like, as a culture, we're just very okay with like a baseline level of anxiety, I think, you know, and there's a lot of reasons, uh, maybe very good reasons for us to be anxious, but, but we should probably think what does Jesus have to say about anxiety? So um, that's what we're going to do today. And, and I began to think about the nature of worry. And uh, this passage came to mind. And then in studying it, I felt like God gave me something to say. So if you have a Bible, um, grab it, because that's what we're going to do. I want you to make sure I'm not look, uh, making this stuff up on my own. Uh, so grab that Bible in front of you. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to read together. Um, if you actually don't own a Bible, the one in front of you, you can take home and study because it's uh, a very profitable thing for us. So let's see, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. All right, I'm going to invite the worship team up. Uh, that pretty much sums it up for us today. Um, just kidding. But that, I mean, that is sort of the message, right? Do not worry about your life. And then Jesus goes on to say, you know, don't worry about things like clothing, and don't worry about things like food. And, and he gives these, these very logical examples. He says, look, if you're worried about starving to death, look at the birds, okay? They are not anxious. They don't, like, put all their stuff in, you know, like, th th God feeds them. And if God cares for them, and you are valuable, then how much is God going to care for you? And then uh, maybe, you know, you, you worry about how you look. And so he says, look at the grass. How inconsequential is the grass of the field? And yet God cares for it, and he makes it uh, more beautiful than Solomon. We spent a lot of time talking about Solomon recently, and he had a lot of splendor, and yet the wildflowers are, are better than him. And then he gets to this verse in verse 31, and this is where I think we'll spend most of our time. He says, Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or wear, for the Gentiles, and in some, some uh, versions might say pagans or unconverted, for the Gentiles run after these things, is how my version had it. And it got me thinking about, what does it mean to run after something? Other versions might say, eagerly strive after, or pursue, or seek. And he says, these are the things that, that cause the godless, the people who have no God, they run after these things, and it causes them a tremendous amount of anxiety. And so I began to think, what do we run after today? What do we eagerly pursue? What causes us the most anxiety? And I felt like God just gave me this insight that um, I'm, I probably had heard somewhere else, or maybe Jesse had even said it before, but this is really what I want us to focus in on today. Um, it's the fact that maybe anxiety and worry expose the idols in our heart. 
whatever we're anxious about. The Gentiles were anxious about food and drink and clothing. Those are the things they ran after. Well, maybe the things that we run after today cause us to be really anxious and worried. So that's where I really want to zero in today. Uh, We do talk about idolatry a fair amount here, but for many of us, it still sort of conjures up an idea of little golden figurines and very strange pagan rituals from, from long ago. But I think we would do well to sort of look at idolatry today. And so here's the truth. We all sort of experience this need for fulfillment, right? We want significance in this life. We want meaning. We want to know that we're valuable. And so we look for things that might give us a small sense of that significance or meaning or value. And so there's um, an author and a, a pastor in New York City named Tim Keller, and I feel like he hits the nail on the head as he defines an idol in our culture today. So in a very biblical sense, this is what he says, here's what an idol is. It should be up on the screen. Thanks, Sarah. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel that my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value, and then I'll feel significant and secure. Whatever we look at and we say, oh, if I just had that, then I would be, I'd I'd have this sense of security about my life. I would know that I'm significant. But then the flip side of that is if I don't have that, then there's this enormous amount of anxiety that wells up because because then I don't know that I have significance and meaning, right? And so um, what we're going to do is look at some idols in our life, and with this definition, almost anything could really be an idol. You know, you can elevate some very good things, and we're going to talk about those, into the place of an idol, and that's where I think the anxiety and the worry come in. So let's talk about some idols, shall we? This should be fun. Um, Let's start with money. Money is a pretty obvious one. Um, many of us, and I'm not saying that I'm immune to this, um, we look to money to kind of fulfill us, right? We say, if I just had more money, then I would be, uh, then I'd be good, right? Um, maybe if I just had a car, maybe you have a car, but you just dream about that beautiful BMW or whatever it is, and you say, if I just had that, or I had this, if I just had a different house, okay, I don't like my house that much, or, or maybe I just had this phone, or whatever it is, it doesn't even matter. We, we look and we say, I don't have quite enough. And if I had enough, then I would, if I had more, then I would be significant. I would have meaning. I would know that my life has value. And it's really not hard to see why that's going to cause an enormous amount of anxiety. Because how fleeting is financial well-being? Right? We have very little control over um, whether or not we get in a car accident on the way home, whether or not we get sick, whether or not a, a good portion of our financial health is just taken away from us. And then there's the sense that I never have enough, and so then I have to be worried about always getting more. And so that idol is just not going to fulfill us, and we're going to be filled with a sense of anxiety. How about closely tied to that, it would be career success. I think this one might be one of the more dominant ones in today's culture, because we can kind of say, look, okay, I know that money's not going to satisfy me, but if I had a significant career, if I knew I was making a difference, then I would feel like I had value, right? I mean, how, who was there? I, I'm there. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons I went into medicine is because I felt like I wasn't feeling the sense of significance that I had in my previous career. And so, so I often will look to this and say, man, this has to fulfill me. And, but it can't, okay? It can't because, because if that's where our hope is, how could we not be anxious about it? Our jobs can be taken from us, right? I mean, I, I might get hit by a bus crossing. The, I mean, I ride my bike everywhere. So if I get hit... And I don't wear a helmet, so don't follow my example. But if I get hit in the head and I can't process things anymore, like, where's my career? It's gone. So is my life, like, do I have no significance anymore? No meaning? No value? No. Um, 
maybe we're not anxious about money, but we do get overly anxious about our job performance. So maybe you say, this is my job, and if I don't perform well at it, then I don't have any significance or meaning. And so this is, for, for a student, this is like grades, right? I mean, I, I want to like do really well on all my tests. Otherwise, I'm a bad student and I don't have any significance. So um, none of us in here worry about those things though, right? I mean, we're good. Those are the obvious idols. We're good. We don't, we don't struggle with money or career, right? So let's just talk about some more covert idols. Uh, these might be things that are not as bad inherently, even though those other two are not bad inherently either. We elevate them to a position of idolatry. So let's talk about, um, how about health and physical fitness or physical beauty? How many of us in here worry about our weight, right? How many of us worry about constantly, right? Yeah, I mean, how, <clears throat> thanks, Bob. Um, how many of us, you know, everything that comes through our mouth is being cataloged in some sort of list saying this was how many calories it was. I can't go over this many. Um, we're worried about like our waistline. We're worried about fitting into those clothes so that we look really good. Um, maybe we work out a ton because we don't want to lose that brawny physique that I've never had in my life. Um, maybe you want to maintain that thin waist. I mean, there's a lot of young people here, so, I, you know, we, we're maybe not looking back and saying, I wish I had what I had, but trying to keep what we still have. But we, we're just going to be so worried all the time because that is fleeting. I mean, if you want to come up to the hospital and see some old people, um, Physical beauty doesn't last forever, okay? Your strength, you can bench press 600 pounds today. In 40 years, you won't be able to. I can promise you that, right? It's going to go away. And so these, you have no choice but to be anxious about these things. And um, I just think that, uh, that in our culture, these are dominant idols that, that we look to and we say, if only I had that or if only I could keep this, then I'll be okay. And I know that I'll have significance and meaning. I want to be attractive. I want to be thought of as attractive. I want other people to look at me and think, man, I want to look like that. But luckily, that's not us in here, right? We're good. We're good. Nobody in here tried on, what, three, four outfits before coming here because the first three didn't look good, right? Um, I've been married to one of those people before. Um, <clears throat> not today, but um, <clears throat> I'll get in trouble for that later. Um, <laughs> no one in here skips food in the cafe thinking, oh, I got to work out extra if I, if I had one of those delicious things. Um, and again, these are not bad things. I think wanting to be healthy is a very appropriate thing in the gospel. But, but when we elevate it to the position of saying, if I don't look good enough, if I don't have that physical uh, physique, that, that beauty, that uh, whatever it is, if I don't have that, then I don't have meaning. That's when it turns into an idol. But that's not us, so we're good. We'll move on. We'll talk about some other even more covert idols uh, in our lives that cause us to be anxious. And let's talk about, um, how about some, like, idols of family, or your social circle, or maybe even just romantic love. Okay, we look to our family to fulfill us. We, we want to find our significance, and if we find our ultimate significance in that, then we have a problem, and that's going to make us be really, really anxious. Maybe you're in the place where you find your life and your meaning in how your children behave, Man, I can tell you that's really fleeting because you're, I mean, my children don't behave. And so if I found my entire meaning in how they behave, that's going to be a, a huge problem. Um, maybe we find uh, our, our sense of value in how our spouse treats us. And so if, that, if that's in the tank, then we, are just, we, we have no bearing in life. If our, if our husband is four hours without texting us, right? Like our, my little friend in the ER, then, then we're like all in a tizzy because we can't figure out uh, if I don't have that relationship, then I have no meaning and significance and value in life. 
or you're preoccupied with dating. Maybe you're in that stage of life and, and you have to analyze every little interaction that you have, right? And you say, well, I mean, wh- wh- if I said that, then, then how did she think? Wait, what happened? And then so you're just like constantly anxious, constantly analyzing everything, constantly thinking about whether your feelings are reciprocated. I, I just want us to sort of sit and think about the idols in our lives and realize that they cannot deliver ultimate significance They can't deliver ultimate value. They can't deliver ultimate meaning and hope in this world. And so we put way too much pressure on things that can't deliver ultimate value, significance, and meaning when we elevate them to that place. And that's where I think uh, Jesus rightly says, look, the pagans run after these things, and that's why they're anxious. And we should ask ourselves today, what do we run after? What makes you anxious, right? I mean, I kind of want us to actually go through and spend 15 seconds, just you, maybe grab a pen. Uh, There should be one in front of you. Grab the bulletin maybe that you got and just think to yourself, what am I anxious about and write it down. Okay, you don't have to show anybody. I'm not going to make you read these out loud or sing a song about them. Um, But do that right now. I'm I'm actually going to stop talking for 15 to 20 seconds for you to do this, okay? So now that we have... uh, I mean, I don't think any of us are probably thinking, man, I'm never anxious, right? So, so it's not like we had uh, to really go through this exercise to think, man, I got to find something to be, to be worried about so that I can take Jesus' advice. But we should begin to think uh, the next step and say, how does Jesus want us to respond to these things, right? And so let's go back to our text. Let's pick up again uh, in 31. And let's ask the question sort of, how do we take Jesus' advice here? He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is what what Jesus would tell us to do to combat the issues of anxiety and worry in our lives, but I think that it's uh, somewhat difficult because his language is is unfamiliar to us. We don't really talk about kingdom all that much, and so we kind of have to take a step back and sort of define kingdom, what is a kingdom, what would be God's kingdom, and then how would we seek it. So let's talk just a little bit briefly about kingdom. What is a kingdom? So a kingdom would be the domain of a king, king Dumb, right? So the domain would be like the area or the space or the land. Uh, it'd be the, the place where what the king wants to be done is done. Okay, he has authority, reign, rule. How, like, there's a lot of words we use to describe this, but it's really foreign for us in America because none of us probably have ever lived in a kingdom. But luckily, um, for the purposes of this exercise, my wife and I lived in Morocco for two years. I'm not saying that was the only reason we lived in Morocco so that I could explain this, but um, Morocco is a kingdom. It is the kingdom of Morocco, and it's not like Great Britain is a kingdom because Great Britain, you know, England has, has a king, but he doesn't do anything, or a queen, I guess, at this point. The king in Morocco is the king, okay? Um, he has absolute and utter authority and reign in that place, okay? And, and it's the kind of thing where um, when he wanted to say, no, my birthday should be a holiday, it's done. You know, if, if the king came over to your house and he was like, I'd like your house, you have no choice. You are moving out. 
Um, it, is, it, is the, it was really foreign for us to be in a place where this culture is sort of ingrained in this idea of the king. And they loved the king. I mean, for the most part, they loved the king. Um, but it was really foreign to us because we, we don't live in a king here, a kingdom here. But, so the kingdom of Morocco is about the size of California, and that is his rule and reign. He has complete authority over that land. You could say that a kingdom would be the range of his effective will. So wherever, whatever his will is in that area is his kingdom. Does that make sense? So in, in that sort of way, we, each of us has a kingdom. We don't think about it in this way very often, but we have a space, uh, a range where our will sort of determines what gets done. Does that make sense? So it might just be limited to your body, where you say, I'm going to walk over here, and you have the ability to sort of have the authority over your body um, to say, look, this is, this is my kingdom. Maybe it's your home where your choice determines sort of what happens. Um, my home is certainly not my kingdom. It would be my wife's. Um, <clears throat> but um, but we, we have a kingdom. And in the same way, God has a kingdom. There is a range of his effective will where what he wants done is done. Right? And, and so we think of that as, as primarily the kingdom of the heavens. And we talk about Lord, bring, bring your kingdom down to earth, because there is a space where what he wants done is done, and we sense that that is not here yet all the time, right? We, so so that, that kind of brings us to um, other kingdoms. And so uh, to take a step back, in a kingdom there can only be one authority. So if you are in Morocco and you, you want to sort of challenge the king, good luck with that. You're going to jail. Um, it, is, it was so bizarre. There was a newspaper that took a poll of the approval rating of the king. It was 96%. Hey, that's not bad, right? 96%? That's a pretty high approval rating. That newspaper was closed the very next day <clears throat> because they published a 4% disapproval rating, and you cannot disapprove of the king. It doesn't work. And so, like, for us, this is really difficult because what's more American than challenging authority, right? I mean, like, from our roots... We challenge authority. That's just inbred in our ethos. You know, like that's just what, that's American. But, but there can be no challenging of authority. And in the same way, in God's kingdom, he really cannot tolerate people who challenge his authority. And this is important for us to realize because on our own, apart from Christ, before we have any encounter with the gospel, we disobey the king. Right? God has a kingdom where what he wants done is done, and we have no access to that kingdom apart from Christ. This is, the, this is the gospel, the very good news of Jesus, is that through Christ, those who are on the outside, we challenge authority, we disobey the king. Where, what, 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 what he wants done is not what we want done, so we do our own thing. And he has given us the freedom to do that. But in Jesus, we have access to this kingdom where what he wants done is done. And that's the beauty. I mean, this is what Jesus, if you actually read the gospels, this is all that he said. He said, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. At hand meaning it is available to you now. And it's this um, tenuous sort of, it's here, it's available to us, but it's not yet fully instated to be the only kingdom available um, to you. And so, so there's this idea that, um, that we now have access to the king, and we can sort of live in this domain. It's an eternal kind of life that begins now and will go on forever because his kingdom is forever. But then we should sort of take another step back and say, okay, I can live in that kingdom, but does the king care about me? I can live in Morocco, 
but the, if the king doesn't care about me, that doesn't really matter, right? I mean, what he wants done is done, but if that doesn't affect my life at all, what's the big deal, right? We actually worked at a school while we lived there, and this school served um, some of the upper echelon of society. There were some, that was kind of a range of students, but some of the families there knew the king, like personally knew the king. And let me tell you, if you know the king, you are set for life in Morocco. I mean, it was, um, they drove like very, very, very expensive cars. They did kind of whatever they wanted. And um, they got very upset at an American style school where like whatever they want done isn't done uh, because the American style school said, you're gonna do things this way because you have to. But they don't like that very much because they know the king. And in that culture, if you know the king, that's it. Like you have everything you want whenever you want it. And I'm not trying to say that now because we know the king, everything we want we get. But because we know the king and because he has said that he cares for us, now we can respond in an entirely different way to the things that we encounter in this life. This is the good news of the gospel, is that now we can say, um, okay, there are very legitimate things that cause me to worry in this life. But I live, I don't live in this kingdom, I live in the kingdom of God, where what he wants done is done, and he has told me that he cares for me. Friends, if we, li- if we live in that place, if we live in the domain of God the King, where his authority is done, where his will is done, if we can live there, what do we have to be worried about, right? So that's what, that's, this is sort of the idea of what Jesus is getting at. He says, but above all, pursue or seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't seek the idols that won't satisfy, right? Don't look in the mirror to find significance. Don't check your bank account to see how much value you have in this life. Don't look at maybe a list of degrees on your wall and say, oh, now I have significance and meaning. Don't cling to your family. Don't cling to your social circle or your your boyfriend or your girlfriend as your hope in this world. We can seek the rule and reign of God. We can pursue him, pursue his righteousness, which is the righteousness of a new heart, not some list of rules or anything like that. And then here's what I think is just the beauty of the gospel. The last part of verse 33. And all these things will be given to you as well. How beautiful is that? God says, release those things that you used to seek with all your heart. You used to run after them. Seek me. Seek my kingdom. Seek your significance, your value in me, and you get everything back. It's unreal. I mean, it is so beautiful. Okay, we get to release these things, and then we find that in their proper place, they have, they're just a blessing that we get to enjoy from God. You think that God wants us to enjoy meaningful relationships? Of course. To have a good family life, to have healthy interactions with our kids or our spouse? Absolutely. And so we find that when we kind of place things in their right uh, orientation or in their proper sort of place that that we get to worship God, we get to seek his kingdom, and we get that blessing of a healthy family uh, as well. All of these things, uh, clothing, food, health, fitness, money, career, romance, family, they're all enjoyed appropriately in that kingdom of God. Amen? Right? I mean, how beautiful is that in the gospel? I I just can't, I I love the gospel because of how, how great he is. He doesn't say, give all these things up and have a ho hum life and be miserable until you get to heaven. He says, start living in my kingdom now. Start that eternal kind of life now. Uh, Interact with me. Enfold your kingdom into mine, 
right? He says, you have a kingdom. You can choose to sort of live in mine at the same time and begin that new life now, and it will begin, uh, and it'll continue uh, forevermore. So what does this look like, again, practically? Because I don't want us to just think, I mean, we can see the good news of the gospel and yet forget to, to sort of say, how do I, inf- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, how would I get this into my real life? Okay, so in order to do that, I want to illustrate this first with a story before I just tell you the principle. And so to do that, I'm going to introduce you to 16-year-old Kevin. I'll be 32 this year, so I guess that's half as much as me. Um, 16-year-old Kevin that you're going to meet is actually stressed. And um, very stressed out at the, at the moment, actually. So um, as, a, as a way of backstory, um, I was very involved in my church's youth group. It was a super fun time. On a Sunday morning, we would have sort of our own church service. This, while the adults had theirs, we had our own, and we would pull 150 high schoolers. Like, this was a, a happening place. It was super fun, really, really impacting on my, um, my teen years, those really formative years. And uh, every, like, other Friday night, we would do these outreach events, and we would pull 300, 350 kids to these things. I mean, it was, it was super fun. And um, if you knew me at the time, you would have known me as Kevin, the worship leader guy, because that was me. I mean, I was the face of this sort of youth group in terms of their worship band. Um, guitar guy, singer guy, good looking. No, wait, I wasn't good looking. But, um, <laughs> but that was me. And so um, my youth pastor, Scott, had really done, he had invested a ton in me. He had... Um, you know, tried to help me grow. He'd encouraged me. He'd sort of taught me in these things. And, and, um, and so this was like a huge part of who I was. And I'm not going to lie to you, I found a ton of significance in that. I mean, it was, it was and ministry is one of those really, really tricky things because it easily becomes an idol, right? It's a very good thing that God calls us to, but he always says, do not place it above me, right? Seek my kingdom and you'll get it in return. But, but if you seek that over me, it's going to be a problem. And so 16-year-old me was, was probably in that place where I sought um, the affirmation of the people who came. Kevin, that was an awesome worship service. You did so well, you know, this sort of thing. Um, and so what we had planned, this is junior year of high school. It was like the spring. We had a really solid year running up to this, and we had planned this sort of big outreach event. And Scott came to me, and he was like, Kevin, I really want, I want to see if we can push the boundaries in worship, right? I want to see if you can sort of uh, engage people's hearts in a new way, maybe try to, uh, you know, shake things up a little bit, try to create this space for, for people to encounter God in this new way. We're going to have maybe 300, 400, you know, he's like painting this vision of what this is going to be like, and all I'm sitting there thinking is like, oh no, what am I going to do? Like, I don't know how to do what he's asking me to do, and so I'm like stressed out, um, because this is where I found my significance. Like, I don't want to look like an idiot in front of 350 people. I don't, I don't even know what Scott wants me to do necessarily, so I can't even just work really hard to do what he's asking me to do. Um, And so I'm in this position where I'm like, man, a lot is riding on me, and I have to come through in a big way because, I mean, this is a big deal, you know? There could be people who who meet God for the first time, and so it's that mixture of like, man, God, I want to serve you, and God, I want to feel like I'm really good at this. So um, I was stressed, and it's the week of the event, so it's on a Friday night. This is probably, you know, Monday or Tuesday or whatever. And um, I'm going for a run. So at some point in my life, I started running when I get stressed. I'm not really sure when that was. But um, it was probably around this time. But just as an example, when my girlfriend dumped me in college, I shaved my head and just ran for four weeks. It was awesome. <laughs> <clears throat> but, um, 
was in really good shape after that. Um, <clears throat> but um, so I'm stressed out and I'm running and I'm, I'm in my parents' neighborhood and um, I am running and praying at the same time. And um, I'm crying out to God. I'm saying, God, I don't know how to do this. I, I want to... Um, I want to do for you, you know, I want to, like, make people uh, see you. I want to help them encounter you. And, and God, I really feel this need uh, to come through. Like, God, God I, I need your help. And um, I remember exactly where I was. It's, uh, you come down my parents' neighborhood, you turn left on Greenway Drive. I can picture it right now. And I can remember praying, God, I need to come through. And I was the only one there, so I don't know if it was audible or not. But I, I had to stop running because he said to me, Kevin, you don't have to come through. And it, it shook me. In a, all, I mean, this is such like God, because all in that one sentence was a rebuke, saying, who do you think you are? You can't create an encounter with me. Are you kidding me? Like, wh- how important do you think you are? Right? As if you're going to control my presence. Who do you think you are? You don't have to come through. This is about me. So it was a rebuke, and it was an affirmation saying, do you think that I want to create an environment for people to come to know me? You don't have to come through. I'm going to come through for you. And it was, um, it was such a release, because what God was saying to me was, you think that you have to produce the outcome, and you don't. You have to control what goes in. I control what comes out. And that's the principle that I think I want to leave us with today is, is that God is in the business of controlling outcomes. And what we have to do is release outcomes to him. It's a deliberate sort of thing, and it's not easy. I'm not pretending like it's easy, but it is a diligent and disciplined, um, deliberate release of outcomes. So you bring to him whatever it is you're anxious about, and you say, Father, I submit to your rule and reign, and I release the outcome of whatever this is to you. It doesn't allow us to sit back and now be passive and say, well, great. You know, I feel anxious about not having any work. I'm going to release the outcome of being unemployed to you, and I will wait for the job to come to me. <laughs> right? It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the, the way that we approach it. Right? Because now I can say, God, I submit to your rule, to your reign. I release the outcome of the fact that I have no job. And I'm going to diligently apply for jobs, and you're going, to, you're going to have control of the outcome. I don't have to be worried. I will rest in your care. I will rest in your abundant provision for me in your kingdom, because you have told me that you love me and that you care for me. We sang, you're a good, good father. I mean, how perfect is, is that song for what we're dealing with today? Fathers love to take care of their children, right? And so what we have to do is sort of take a a definite stance and say, God, I'm going to release the outcome of this thing to you. So I want you to look back at that piece of paper and ask God, how do I release the outcome of this thing to you? Some of you are looking at me. You should be looking at your paper. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But um, before you start thinking that uh, 16-year-old Kevin learned this, and now I'm pretty much all set, um, the real reason that I was, you know, dealing with these things about anxiety and worry is that, um, and Keely will tell you this, at the beginning of January, I was, like, stressed out again, really worried and anxious, and it was because at this stage of my training, we have to begin to look at what's coming up next, and so there's a lot of um, very, like, you have to think about the future, but you have to think about it now, 
and uh, there's a lot of things you have to apply for that you don't have control over, and so I begin to just tailspin into this, man, I got to control all these things. Like, how, if I don't get into this program that's like a top 10 program or whatever, I don't have value, and so I begin to look at this idol and saying, my career is, is where I get my significance, and if I don't get X, Y, and Z, then I don't have the career that I think I need to have or whatever that is, and um, man, I was just like for about a week, I was in a place of just deep anxiety, and Keely was like, what are you doing? Like, this is not you, and it was because I had forgotten, and, um, and so really, I'm just preaching to myself, um, which is always a good, a good place to do, or to be in, but um, what I think will be helpful for us is, um, is to sort of go back into worship, especially that last song, so I'm going to invite the worship team up, because what we're doing is, is we're saying, Lord, your kingdom come in my life. Let it, let it come down from heaven and let me see the demonstration of your power in my life. And then um, in that first verse even, it's, it's uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, which is the idea of that, that let, let your name be worshipped in my life as the king, right? Let, let it be above all else. Let there be no idols before you. And... Um, and so what I think would be helpful is just for you to spend some time with whatever it is you're anxious about and just, just to diligently release that to the Lord, okay? Um, and to do that through song, uh, I think, is really appropriate this morning. So um, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll enter into this time of worship. If you, I would guess, in a, in a crowd this big, um, there are some people with some really legitimate things that are causing them some anxiety. And if you want some prayer over those things, and if you want some people to sort of join with you and say, look, let's release the outcome of this thing to God together, there's a lot of power in that. So I'll invite some of the elders and their wives to come forward um, to be available to you in, in prayer. If that's you and you want some prayer, I mean, we would love to join with you in prayer for that. So let's pray. Uh, we're going to sing together, and if you want prayer, um, please come forward. <clears throat> Our Father, we thank you that you care for us. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that, um, that you have told us that there is nothing outside of, of your command, and yet, um, Lord, we face situations that cause us a lot of anxiety, or there are some unknowns in our hearts. Lord, we, we ask that you would show us how those things might point us to things the aspects where we have um, not yet sought you as our, our God, but we have sought after other things. Lord, help us to release the outcome uh, of things in our lives to you. Lord, give us a sense of peace about that. Lord, we seek you and we seek your kingdom and your righteousness. Thank you that, um, that you will give us all things uh, as well. Come meet us now as we worship.